I was reminded by a youngster, I won't mention any names, that we cancel pizza night Wednesday. We're going to do it again. <laughs> this Wednesday we're going to do pizza. Come early. Come to 6 o'clock and we'll have a time of communion afterwards. So we're not going to cheat you youngsters. <laughs> we will have pizza. We will have it for us older folks too. But anyway, we're in Numbers chapter 14, uh, looking at verses 20 through 38. Moses has interceded for the people of Israel. He has the ear of God. God has pardoned the sin of rebellion by the entire nation of Israel. All of Israel has believed the evil report of the ten spies. The people are so destroyed that that they begin to gather stones to kill Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. And the people want to go back to Egypt, back into slavery. And they're ready to select a new leader to lead them back to Egypt. A new leader that will give them their desires. But God squashes this rebellion by simply appearing in a cloud at the tabernacle of meeting, and the people are afraid. But Moses, he's interceded for the people. God has accepted Moses' plea on behalf of the people, and we hear, or we rather read, that God pardoned the entire nation because of the prayers and interceding of Moses. God is faithful to forgive. If we repent, he's faithful to forgive. But the consequence of sin remains. So let's look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 20 through 38. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, speaking to Moses, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory, the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, 
except for Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be victims I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do to all of this evil congregation who have gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague, plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, remained alive of the men who went out to spy the land. We looked last week at the greatness of God. The greatness of God to forgive. God does not want us to sin. He does not want us to rebel against him. But when we do... God is in his great mercy. He looks to forgive us. Verse 20, God tells Moses, I have pardoned these people according to your prayers. Our thinking, our way of thinking, can be contrary to the mercy of God. We can and do put a guilt trip on ourselves, and we can shy away from God because of sin. We try to clean up our act before seeking forgiveness. We can become real careful when trying to please God with our words. You know, words that we spoke in haste before are now, they're tempered down. We clean up our attitude. We become less judgmental of one another. And then after a given amount of time, we sort of try to slide into repentance. And we do this attempting to please God by our good, or what should I say, better behavior. We're never to take sin casually. And we're never to assume that our good behavior is repentance because it isn't. Only God can pardon sin. Only God forgives sin. And we can miss the greatest characteristic of God in that he is willing to show mercy and forgive us. Moses, one man, interceded for the entire nation of Israel, which was around two and a half million people, and God pardons their sin. 
Moses was locked in on the greatness of God to forgive. One of Satan's biggest lies to any sinner, anyone who has sinned, is to cast doubt upon God's goodness and mercy. Satan is quick to condemn us. Guilt and condemnation cause us to shy away from the kindness of God. Conviction by the Holy Spirit wants us to settle the issue of sin by repenting. So conviction leads us to God. Condemnation pushes us away from God. Condemnation tries to tell us that our sin is greater than God's ability to forgive. And that is what we call sinful pride. Now, I would be remiss if I read through this passage not to mention that sin has a penalty. It has a consequence. Paul said it this way, If grace abounds, why not live a sinful, pleasurable life? And then he says, God forbid. We should never use grace as a justifier to sin. But every now and then we encounter a person who doesn't know that we're Christian. And every now and again I encounter someone who doesn't know I'm a pastor. I don't wear a little badge that says I am a pastor. I'm out golfing with some friends of mine one time, and we had a golfer who didn't know us join in with us, and he asked if he could play along with us, and we said, sure. He hits a bad shot, and the cursing that came out of his mouth would embarrass a sailor. Now, our group knows that I'm a pastor, so they look to me. Are you going to say something to him? I felt compelled to say something, so I asked, uh, do you hear what comes out of your mouth? <laughs> and he had a reply. He said, it's okay. I pray every night and ask God to forgive me. Wow. This man, the consequence of sin, were of no regard. God has pardoned Israel. Clearly stated in verse 20. However, God will now declare to Israel their penalty for their sin. Israel is pardoned, but yet there remains a penalty. Verse 22. God has noticed, even numbered the ten times Israel has put him to the test. God takes note. Verse 23, Israel's penalty, they will not see the promised land, for they have rejected and rebelled against their God. Now God has a question for Moses and Aaron. Verse 27, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who murmur against me? But God doesn't wait for an answer from Moses and Aaron. God declares, as this people have spoken, I will do to them. Verse 29, the carcasses. That's a 
interesting word, the carcasses, <laughs> mentioned three times in our passage. The carcasses of these who murmured all those 20 years old and up will die off in the wilderness. That's an interesting verse. It's interesting because we have God establishing the age of accountability for Israel in the Old Testament. It's 20 years old. Sometimes we would make that a lot younger. But God establishes 20 years old and younger will see the promised land. 20 years and older, accountable for their actions, will not see the promised land. Now, we all hear testimonies of some person who gave their life over to Christ at a very early age. Now, I do not make light of those. I, I cherish the fact that children can come to the Lord and not go the path of sin and regret. That, that's a good thought. And I don't take their testimony light. But neither will I try to assure some older person that they are a Christian based upon a childhood confession. The question remains for me, is that person living a Christian life and are they trusting in and relying upon Christ in their lives today? That's the mark of a Christian. What are you doing with Jesus today? Now, we're not allowed to judge another person's salvation. But if you are a believer, the evidence will come forward by your lifestyle. If nothing else, your lifestyle will say that you are a believer. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we read how Satan himself moved on King David to number, to take a census in Israel. King David calls Joab his commander, and he commands him, he says, go out through the tribes of Israel and count the people. David is acting contrary to God's command because he wants to know how large his army is. Joab tries to warn David, don't do this, David. Trust God, not your army, David. But David's command prevails. And in 2 Samuel 24, 9 through 17, let me read to you. You may want to turn there. 2 Samuel 24, 9 through 17. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? 
Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let us fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction, and he said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. David would not be stopped. He was determined to take a census. Now, that doesn't seem so bad. But King David wants to know how large is his army. How many warriors does he have willing to fight for Israel? And it's a large number. 1,300,000 soldiers. That's, that's a lot of people willing to fight. And the thing that made David great before God now condemns him. Upon receiving the number in his army, David is immediately condemned. David confesses, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. And he immediately repents. David was not allowed to gloat of his military strength. Not for a moment. There's no savoring, there's no joy in knowing how big his army was. David's moment of pride turned sour on him immediately. And what pleasure is there in sin if you can't flaunt it? (laughs) David was not allowed to flaunt it, not even for a moment. The very next morning, the prophet Gad gives David God's penalty for his sin. Choose, David, one of these three punishments. And each punishment is from the hand of the Lord. Seven years of famine upon the land. Wow, you can't choose that one. Three months of running from your enemy. That, don't want that one either. Or a three-day plague by the hand of God where many people will die. That's also a bad choice. You do not hear that rooster. That reminds me of Peter, doesn't it? (laughs) I hear that rooster. Anyway, David has three choices, and there's not a good choice among them. And it distresses David greatly. David chooses to fall into the hand of the Lord through the plagues. David, knowing that the mercies of God are great. 
God tells David, I forgive your sin. And therefore, there's no consequences, no punishment. No, there is a consequence. There is a punishment. David, you're going to have to live with the fact that 70,000 men of Israel die by the plague of God. And it's your fault, David. All because David refused to listen to Joab, his commander. He refused to turn away from counting his warriors. David has been guilty of committing several grievous sins, Bathsheba and killing of Uriah. And this sin also is one of David's great sins. The temptation to number his troops was a direct temptation from Satan. We read how Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. This numbering of the troops would appear to be simply a logical thing to do. Just know where your strength is. But Joab, his commander, was faithful to warn David. And he said, God, give the king a hundredfold increase, but do not number the troops, David. And then we hear the great question by Joab. Why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? What are you doing, David? Joab, he understands that it's pride that is gripping David to number the people. But David, he's already succumbed to this. He's already given in to this temptation. Now David simply argues why he should number his troops. The temptation to sin must be fought before it possesses you. That's worth repeating. Glad you asked me that I will repeat it. Temptation to sin must be fought before it possesses you. Once David is tempted, once he wants to number the troops, it's a done deal. And David then tries to deal with his sin, his temptation to sin, logically which only destines him to failure. You do not combat temptation logically. For a husband and a wife to be faithful to one another, there must be a commitment between them not to sin in that way. If we wait until we're in the middle of temptation, we are in great danger. We must acknowledge beforehand that a moment of pleasure can and will destroy years, if not a lifetime of trust. A moment. Satan has been watching David. He has, uh, David has Satan's attention and he knows where David is weak. And then he stands up and comes against David. Have you ever been tempted to sin and wonder 
Where in the world did that come from? Most likely from the pit. <laughs> Let me help you that. <laughs> right from the pit. So how do we combat that moment of temptation? I'm glad you asked that question. Jesus had something to say about temptation. In Luke 11, Jesus is in prayer. He closes his prayer to the Father, and the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. Jesus is telling them the very words that they're to pray. And in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay, those are good. And then Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And here's the crux. Here's the preventative part. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. My mother used to say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that is so true. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Be in prayer for deliverance from temptation and deliverance from the evil one. Allow that prayer to be part of your daily devotions. Be praying for your spouse, your wife, your husband. Be praying for your children to be delivered from temptation, to be delivered from evil. King David, as soon as he sinned, his heart condemned him. And as king, 70,000 men died because the king sinned. Sin is never done in a corner. It affects all those around us. And in David's case, 70,000 men die from a plague that God sent because the king sinned. That should bring fear to each and every one of our hearts. The consequences of sin. Never take sin lightly. Yes, we have forgiveness. And thank God for forgiveness. But God would rather have us not be tempted to sin. He says, pray that you will not be tempted. And that's good advice for us. Next week, we're going to look at Caleb and Joshua, two good examples, two good spies who said we can take the land. But the 10 spies brought back a bad report. It was believed by the entire nation of Israel and the entire nation of Israel, all those 20 years old, older and up, die off in the wilderness because of their sin. Were they forgiven? Yes.
Did they pay the price? Yes. Let us learn from the nation of Israel and all that they went through. If I could just stand, we'll close in prayer.